for Nadar. Let's get into it. The podcast that dives into the past, present, and future of Nadar. This is where we will hear stories of how the organization came to be, tips for better representation, and a behind-the-scenes look of Nadar. Now with your hosts, Eva Sermon and Jay Shea Guest. I am Carletta Griffin, inviting you. Let's get into it. Welcome to another exciting edition of Nadar. Let's get into it. My name is Jay Shea Guess. Our host, Eva Sermon, is already uh, in progress talking to today's guest, so we're going to drop in on them just a little bit uh, later. Uh, but right now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Uh, you're going to want to stay tuned and listen today. Our guest is actually going to be one of our speakers at uh, this year's conference in Atlanta, 2024. His name is Frederick Effinger. He was recently uh, on a spot on CBS 60 Minutes. So let's, uh, let's join Eva and Freddie now. Uh, let's get into it. Education content and all that kind of stuff. I'm excited for you to speak at the conference. Me too. It's, it's an incredible opportunity and it's an incredible opportunity about something that I'm really, really passionate about. And, you know, as we see more visibility, I, I'm such a, it's kind of funny. I'm such a dork. Uh, I think one day I was leaving my disability class that I was teaching and I was, I got an email from a friend telling me about the 60 minute thing. And you would have thought that I was meeting the Beatles or something. I was just so excited about finally, because no, no one really talks about this issue until it's ruining the life of one of these former disability recipients. And, and so it's something that I've loved and have been doing since I used to work there but it doesn't get a lot of visibility. And for it to start coming out of the, the shadows now, I think is really, really important. So I'm really psyched. I know. So some of our team actually joked, uh, oh, so you just got to contact Anderson Cooper to get your overpayment weight. <laughs> we were like, maybe. Oh, wow. That's maybe. Yeah. And that, that'll yeah, at least maybe. get it uh, moving. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily get it resolved. It'll just get it moving. Oh, man. Well, okay. So let's... Um, First of all, let's let's get some backstory on you and your, you know, your career, how you got into social security disability uh, advocacy um, for starters, just to sort of frame out the conversation. So um, Freddie will be with us in Atlanta and he will be speaking on overpayments and CDRs, which we know are pain points, not only for the claimants, but also for representatives. Um, so ultimately, our goal is just to shed some light on um, on these types of cases and how, as a representative, you can, you know, jump in and help somebody and it and it be fruitful to you. So, um, but but before that, really want people to kind of understand your background. So you take it away and tell us uh, about yourself and where you came from and how you got here. Sure. Thanks so much. Um, my name is Freddie, Freddie Effinger, and I have been a licensed attorney since uh, 2009 and uh, my career, when I first came out from law school, I wasn't uh, really thinking about going into social security disability, mostly because I wasn't fully really aware of it. Um, I, I started out at a plaintiff's firm working on uh, medical malpractice cases and uh, plaintiff side uh, class actions. Um, I left there about a year later uh, and started working as a, a deputy district attorney here in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, which is where I'm centered. Um, it was a wonderful opportunity for a lot of trial experience, but I didn't uh, particularly like, uh, you know, the 
things that I had to see and, and the, 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 the difficulty of dealing with the, the crimes and, and the victims. And it just wasn't for me. I'm really, really glad other people do it, but it wasn't for me. So I just happened to be looking at uh, some opportunities and uh, got a call back from Social Security. And I ended up working there as an attorney for about nine years. And in doing it, I, I was just so fascinated because it was just such this little cloistered area off from the rest of law. You know, I have a lot of attorney friends and we talk about our areas of law and everyone's kind of over here talking about all their really exciting things. And I talk about my exciting things and those exciting things do not match. And I kind of like that. Um, I really, really like how social security is special unto itself. And because of that, the people who are you know, needing this program every single year, you know, I think as of last year, 1.8 million people applied in the last two years. They need somebody who really is specialized in this area because it takes a lot of focus. Um, I would also say I have a bit of a soft spot uh, for individuals just because of my very unique uh, kind of medical history. Um, when I was in my last year of law school, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four cancer. Uh, kind of out of nowhere. And thankfully, um, in full remission, have been since that time, uh, no major uh, lingering side effects. But what it did give me is an understanding of what it feels like to have your idea for what you're going to do in your life, your vision, uh, how you want to take care of your family, what you want to do. All of those things are thrown into jeopardy because of an illness. And that actually gives me a huge ability to empathize and connect with a lot of my uh, disability clients because they're at one of their worst points in their life having to say, you know, although I really, really have been working towards this career, although I've really been trying to, you know, support my family in this way because of this condition, because of this accident, because of this injury, I no longer can. And it's hard. So wow. I, I did not I realize like that, that you that you had a cancer diagnosis in your background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it, it was um, it really was out of nowhere. <laughs> there, there were no major signs or symptoms and blood tests were all normal leading up to it. It was just kind of a fluke thing that was just sort of there. And, and so my life went from, you know, planning out where I was going to go after law school to uh, immediately starting chemotherapy as soon as possible and and hoping that I would actually live to graduation. And that's, it's quite a jarring experience. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, it's something that although I, I never want to do again, and I, I wish I could have avoided it, it does give me the ability uh, to kind of know how that went and to connect and to care for my, my clients better. Absolutely. I can only imagine. I think that, um, you know, Younger individuals, uh, not that cancer isn't horrific no matter what age you are, but I think younger individuals that are told you have stage four cancer, um, that that is like getting head upside the head with, you know, a cast iron skillet. I haven't, thank God, had to go through that. But um, but I imagine that in that moment, exactly how you sort of depicted, you know, your thoughts about your future um probably come to a screeching halt, you know, and um, you may even decide to change course. Right. Um, but right. I think that you're 100% accurate in that in this line of work, anyway, it is unique. It is very specific. Um, and for sure, it has to have given you the ability to empathize better and to connect better with your claimants. Um, okay. So 
that that's how you kind of got into to law and disability advocacy. But tell tell us a little bit about your um, your your most recent post with the University of Alabama. So uh, a good friend of mine, a professor named Anil Majumdar, who is actually uh, teaching a class on uh, poverty issues uh, at the University of Alabama Law School, contacted me. He and I had worked at uh, the firm that I, I, the plaintiff's firm I worked at when I first came out of law school. And he asked if I would talk about disability and, and how uh, an individual's income and their socioeconomic status can sort of impact how they apply, what they're able to get, how how it affects their treatment history and, and those sorts of issues. Uh, I, I spoke to the class and uh, they, they were incredibly receptive. Uh, they were really, really uh, complimentary, which was, I think, more of a testament to, to those folks who have like a really cool heart towards wanting to help people. Uh, and so some of the students apparently and uh, this particular uh, friend of mine recommended to the school that if they wanted to pick up an elective, maybe they should think about teaching disability. And so uh, one thing kind of led to another. And then I actually uh, they, they asked me to teach it uh, this past semester. And it was one of the most enriching experiences I had ever had. Um, I kind of wanted to get them as prepped for disability as you can. And, you know three and a half, four months. Uh, so it's, it's kind of tricky, but we actually ended up kind of doing all the, the technical textbook stuff first. Uh, but we actually ended up in the last three weeks doing mock hearings. And I was actually able to get some of the uh, Social Security Administrative Law judges to serve as the actual judges uh, for those mock hearings. And so these students got feedback from actual real life administrative law judges. And that was that's something that's really, really hard to get when you're trying to learn this stuff. So I oh think my it was, gosh, it was that a really is, rewarding thing. What a great idea. That is a great idea to incorporate that. So, okay, so it went from the idea of just offering it as an elective, but it sounds like this is an entire course. Oh, absolutely. It absolutely is. And there's a lot to learn about it. And honestly, I, I don't think that you can really do that in one semester. Um, you know, I, I, it's kind of an overview. And so we talk about the historical nature of the disability program, how it came about, sort of its, uh, you know, progenitors and, and how it, you know, sort of stemmed from some of the other pension programs. And, and, and I'm, I'm not going to bore you guys with that, but, you know, it, it does actually go all the way back to the Revolutionary War, believe it or not. Right. Um, and then everything up into talking about overpayments, talking about specific tactics in hearings, talking about how to um, questions to make sure that you ask of the vocational experts, very practical. Uh, and so they were they're as prepared as you can be for your first hearing. And anybody who's done disability work knows that you're never really fully prepared for that nope. first hearing until you just do the first hearing. Yeah, it's a rip the bandaid off. Uh, kind of <laughs> um, but especially, I mean, at least as an attorney, you had uh, probably at least a course or two in cross-examining witnesses. So those of us that didn't get that, um, sort of coming from, you know, corporate America, uh, we, we felt quite unprepared for our first hearing. And, and that's, I think, across the board, regardless of what your background is. But um, I think this is amazing because I don't know of many programs that are at the law school level that teach this. I feel like it's got to be such a sliver of law that it just gets looked over, right? Like I think people back into it. They go to law school, they start working for a firm, you know, they're maybe writing briefs or I don't know what. And then they're like, oh, wait, 
you know, I'm working for a personal injury lawyer, but like, what's this whole social security disability thing? You know, I don't think people go to law school and think I'm going to be a social security disability attorney. I most certainly didn't. Uh, and one of the biggest reasons was I didn't know that was even kind of a thing. I mean, to be very honest, one of the major reasons why I wanted to go to law school was because I wanted to be Jack McCoy from Law and Order. That was my actual goal. Uh, and so, you know, I was that's, that that's what I saw in my head. That is not a bad goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, OK, so. You're teaching at the University of Alabama, but also you have your own practice. That's right. Yeah. So Effinger Law is my disability practice where uh, it's uh, we we founded that in January, uh, July 1st of 2021. Okay. And, you know, my goal with that was to sort of prove to folks that you can actually run a successful uh, especially to other attorneys, you can run a really, really successful law practice while letting compassion be your leading sort of, uh, you know, your 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 north star, uh, and and that's that's one of the reasons why again I'm really thankful for the health background that I do have because a lot of the difficulty you have initially with some clients is that you really got to get them to open up about the nature of their condition in the first place. Uh, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of uh, fear of how they'll be viewed by their uh, co-workers or, or if they've already left their job, their friends and family, and just pushing through that little shame veil, which in my personal opinion has no business being there anyway, uh, really helps them to open up. And once they open up, you can find out the most important, most helpful medical information that you can from them. They can more effectively tell their stories and you, you have a better chance of winning your case. And so, like I said, the the compassion aspect um, I think is is my niche part of this. I, I don't want to treat anybody like a number. Um, I think that it's much more effective if we can actually care about each other <laughs> throughout the process. Uh, yeah. and, and it's kind of, a, kind of a weird way to go. And so, yeah, and so that's, it's been a, a successful experience so far. I've been working on cases all the way from initial application up through the federal court and as well as doing uh, non-disability cases like overpayments and cessations. Okay. I love it. And so thus the topic of overpayments um, <laughs> and the November 5th, 60 minutes episode about that very topic, um, which is covered by Anderson Cooper and um, sort of dives deep into a, a couple <laughs> of individuals cases. Um, and, and I think was, um, I don't know, really important, but really, really important, as you mentioned at the, at the top of this um, for sort of the the public uh, on the, on a national level to see and hear um because i think it is uh so unfortunate the way that the agency handles um most overpayments um specifically overpayments that are due to a fault of theirs and i think that's the kicker right in the 60 minute piece. So let's talk a little bit about that and what your takeaways were from the 60 minutes piece. Well, um, there, there are quite a few, mostly I was just like, yeah, I know this is what I've been telling people for months. Um, cause you know, I, I, I think I may have mentioned this to you. My friends kind of joke with me and they're like, you're not really a disability attorney as much as you are a disability evangelist. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll take like that. that. Kinda, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, 
Because it's it's just such an incredibly difficult um, uphill battle. And and as has been mentioned, as was mentioned in the segment, and that is also mentioned in Social Security's own regulations. If Social Security is partially at fault in creating the overpayment, that does not prevent you from also being at fault and therefore also having to pay back whatever money it is uh, that they're charging you with having to pay. And, you know, I like to, when people ask me about overpayments with Social Security, I like to tell them about this particular, my first uh, overpayment case where there was an individual who came to me and indicated that Social Security was trying to collect an overpayment from them that went back to, I think, about 2012. And it was about $56,000. This particular person had um, multiple sclerosis and they were a speech therapist. Although they were disabled, they still wanted to do some examinations on the side because that kind of helped them to, to stay uh, mentally alert and help them over while, um, for their mental well-being as well. And so they consistently reported, uh, just like was mentioned in the segment, they, they consistently reported uh, their earnings to uh, Social Security uh, from their employer. Uh, but somehow, and, uh, you know, over this period of time, Social Security lost track and then all of a sudden found out that this person owed them 56,000. And the kicker of this particular story is that when I asked people to guess who that person's um, employer was, uh, they always uh, are surprised when I mentioned that their employer was actually the Social Security Administration. I knew you were going to say that, Freddie. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were performing uh, um, speech uh, therapy or, or speech pathology examinations of uh, children and uh, those with traumatic brain injuries for the Social Security Administration and SSA, who was paying this particular person, lost track of them, their own payments for 12 years. No, I mean, you can't make this crap up. <laughs> it, it, it was maddening. Unbelievable. And that's what we're going up against. That's what... Uh, and I, I I don't like to make it us versus them because I got I, I got a lot of friends over there and they're 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 wonderful people and like I said I had some uh, judges come over for the class but you know I'm I'm on the side of my clients and it is so difficult when you consider all of the different facets of how overpayments come to be how completely unclear the process is how extremely complicated yes. uh, the reporting requirements are. And then, you know, we're talking about uh, the, the ticket to work program and, and mm -hmm. how, you know, cause when, when you're, when you're disabled, a lot of my clients, I'd say the vast majority of my clients, uh, they'll, they'll tell me, you know, if I can work, I want to do something because it makes me feel better. Uh, there's, there's this terrible stigma in society that, People who are seeking disability are just, you know, trying to free, freeload the system and, and sit around. And I'm like, well, this if you're trying to cheat the system, this is the slowest, most ineffective way to do it uh, because it's really hard to get. It takes forever uh, and, and it's not necessarily going to going to put you on on easy street in that particular way. And, and so the, the, a lot of my clients, they want to work. And so they they try to enter into this ticket to work program. And it's just maddening the requirements that they have to try to keep up with. I've been doing this now for 
14 years and some change. And I still struggle <laughs> sometimes with the specific uh, requirements that they have to do. First, when they start working, they have to make sure that uh, they don't hit a specific trial work period limit um, for nine non-consecutive months in a rolling five-year period. So yeah, if your eyes didn't cross over right when I just said that, yeah. uh, once that ends, then you go into the extended period of eligibility, which is another three-year period mm-hmm. during which you can't earn uh, substantial gainful activity. And it's it's and so we're expecting people who are dealing with disability, but they're still trying to find something that can make them feel better within themselves and try to help their family to also keep up with these absolutely draconian rules. And if they slip up at any of those particular points, they can end up being uh, losing their benefits, losing their their health care if they get it through Medicare, uh, and also having to pay back thousands and many times tens of thousands. And actually, a couple of my clients, hundred thousand um, dollars worth of benefits that they've been receiving. It's it's uh, really really difficult. And and that's why I don't want to give this up. That's why I'm going to keep doing it. That's why I keep trying to get other people to do it. That's why I tell all of my students, this is an incredibly important area that we need to look into. And that's why uh, that that 60 minute segment in general uh, and specifically the issues that they were bringing up in the segment, uh, you know, talking about reporting. It really, really requires more hands on deck and more skilled hands on deck because that's really the only way that you can help them. That's right. I mean, and and so when you have rules like this that you talk about um, specific to ticket to work, let's say, um, that one little tiny fragment of the social security disability, quote unquote, process, if you get to that point, right, is so complicated that even their own technical experts struggle to. That's correct. You know, figure out the math, track the math, account for things properly. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, you can't imagine. I mean, look, you went to law school, right? I I have an undergrad degree and have years of work experience in other fields. And and don't think that I'm a a ding dong by any stretch of the imagination. And yet... (laughs) And yet not even at the ticket to work part of the claim, just calculating a PIA is problematic, right? Or figure out like, are are you still insured? (laughs) Do you You know the date last insured? Absolutely. I'd rather do a couple uh, Rubik's cubes blindfolded if possible. (laughs) Exactly. This is a very complicated um, process and at current is being sort of managed by an underfunded and understaffed and overworked agency. Um, right. And so really there is truly no surprise that these overpayments happen. I mean, That's if right. you've been in the game for any length of time, um, be it eligible for fee withholding or not, you've yeah. chased a fee. You've either chased it from your claimant or you've chased it from the Social Security Administration. <laughs> if right. you have a phone number to contact somebody to help you get paid. It's a miracle. If somebody answers the phone when you call that phone number, right? Like there's That's so another many, miracle. Yeah. There's so many um hurdles in this yeah. 
process, you know? So, so really for those of us that have been in the game for any length of time, the fact that people are being overpaid because SSA has made a mistake is 100% not a surprise because the only thing that's consistent is the inconsistencies, right? Which we see all (laughs) day every day. Um, That's right. So that's not the appalling part, you know, really. The appalling part is not that mistakes are being made. Um, Also, everybody, including people that work for Social Security, we're all human. We all make mistakes, you know? Um, But the fact that the, the accounting and the oversight and the the staffing and all of the reasons why the mistakes could happen um yeah sort of yeah. still exist right that's <laughs> right is the slap your forehead moment you know that's exactly right and and uh one thing that sort of goes along with that <clears throat> excuse me you know when i was actually hired at social security back in 2010 i was hired uh under their accepted service provisions and accepted service is opposed to competitive. The reason why that's significant is because I had to be hired as accepted service, which meant that there were a lot of promotions I was never eligible for because we were still under a hiring freeze, the same hiring freeze we'd been under and continue to be under technically uh, for at that point, I think it was like four years and now it's like maybe 11. It's lightened, um, but it's still there. was, And that so that we're talking about that was all the way back in 2010. Yeah. So and this sort of brain drain that's been happening as, as some of the employers uh, employees have gotten older and so they left but they weren't replaced there's not a lot of people supervising uh, these other new hires that have been brought in most recently and so you end up with this other phenomenon that has actually been happening to me uh more often than i would like to whereas i will approach uh or a client approaches me and, and we can actually get a overpayment forgiven get the entire thing um, brought to zero. And then maybe four to six months later, Social Security will actually come back and say, hey, you still owe X. And we're like, wait, we already did this. And so I've actually had repeat um, repeat clients over the same issues. Uh-uh. And so all this speaks to lack of um, uh, lack of financial support on the Social Security side, lack of uh, training and lack of people just able to say, okay, no, we already did this one. We don't have to try to charge them again. This was already taken care of. Here's all the paperwork. And so it's it's a really, really systematic problem um, that we can do the best that we can on our end, but it really needs to be addressed on all fronts. Yeah. I mean, and this is why, for those of you listening that participate in our um, legislative blitz campaigns where we're asking folks to, you know, urge Congress to approve dollars for funding, yes. SFA, you know, we try, I mean, we're trying to advocate for them too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. They, they can't hire more people if their budget is cut, the administrative budget, you know, they can't, right. and so their hands are tied. Um, but also, mm-hmm. When you hire somebody and you're already in the hole in terms of processing time, That's that right. person or the, the 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 cohort of people you have hired to do this task, those people have to be trained. Well, we've already talked about the tedious nature of the work. And so it's not like, oh, come Monday, you're ready to go after a two-week no. training period. No. I mean, it could take you two years to become proficient. That's right. Right. And so the fix, even if we could 
hire the people, all the people we would need, right? Or they would need is, yeah. is not immediate. It just isn't immediate. And so no. all the while you have people that have been doing this for, you know, 18, 22, 27 years working for right. social security going, I'm making it to 25 and I'm out. That's you right. Know? That's so right. you're already planning their retirement. <clears throat> We're not even barely covering the problem here, you know? No, and that that's that's one of the things that is so sorry, excuse me, it's so pervasive. I, even within um, the the agency, is you know there's there's some lower morale just because you're having to do the thing that's in your position description, the thing that might be in the neighboring jobs position description. You're not necessarily going to be actually compensated for the other stuff you're doing. You have to cover you plus someone else on a regular basis and the other folks who've been doing this, who can maybe sort of show you quicker ways to do it, more effective approaches they're leaving or have left for the same reasons, because they're still having to do extra work themselves. It's, it is such an interconnected problem. Um, And uh, interestingly enough, there's also the issue of how COVID has impacted uh, when it comes to overpayments, uh, because there was a period of time from March 2020 to September 2020, where Social Security wasn't collecting anything because they were technically closed. Right. Uh, although they were they were doing some uh, processing um, for uh, after, I think, maybe like June or July, but still. And so all of those sort of things that probably would have been evaluated uh, sort of got pushed <laughs> onto you know, the the next year's docket. And so it doubled up the load that those same folks who were still struggling to do it previously were dealing with. And so that I, I think that's probably another uh, reason, at least that's what uh, some some of the employees there at Social Security have also mentioned to me confidentially, that that's that sort of glut of cases that should have been reviewed and, and maybe their overpayment would have been erased or their overpayment would have been pursued, all got pushed after that time period, in addition to their regular Right. Workload. So it's just. Yeah. I mean, hey, listen, inserting a global pandemic into anybody's workspace for a long period of time is never a good thing. You know, I mean, I think we all are uh, coming out of the fog where that's concerned, you know. Um, And so, yeah, so it's just a real uh, convoluted mess, I would say. Um, (laughs) And and at the same time, like also not okay. (laughs) <laughs> on so many levels, right? That That's right. These poor people um, have to go through this and have to face thinking to themselves, I'm going to wipe out my entire retirement account to pay back yeah. an error that wasn't on me, you know? That's right. Um, and I think most, I choose to believe, this is just a personal belief, but I choose to believe that most people want to do what's right. They want to do what's right. They want to do the good thing. Absolutely. You know, they want, they don't want to be penalized. They don't want to step, uh, you know, in, in the drain, so to speak, and get sucked down. They want to your point, do things that make them feel better, like working yeah. part-time, right? Sure. And also not risk losing the benefit in case they can't work part-time. You know, it's That's just right crazy so um so anyway i think that i was enlightened by um you know and i'm in it and i know that overpayments happen and and i know that they can be very substantial when they do um honestly in my practice when i was taking cases overpayments scared the 
out of me. Like I was, I, I can't touch that with a 10 foot pole. I had a couple of people that I knew that took overpayment cases and they were like immediately referred because yeah, it's just so complicated, you know, and it feels like sticky as a rep and it feels like, ugh, is this worth my time? And that's terrible to have to say that. But when you're already, especially if you're a solo practitioner, right. Of course. You know, of course. you're, you're working on, um, sometimes pure adrenaline and just <laughs> have yes. to work smarter, not harder. Right. And so I think that's why a lot of people don't understand overpayment cases and therefore don't want to take them, you know? So I think sure. our goal in having you come to the conference is to, you know, shed some light on that and, um, and help people sort of walk through and we're not going to get into the nitty gritty of what that session will be because Obviously, we want you to come and, and teach that. But um, <laughs> but if you're, you know, if you're in the camp of people who are like, wow, payments are coming in real slow for social security disability cases. And this is my like this, this part of my business is the breadwinner part, but let me think of ways I can diversify. Um sure. we will have this session. We will also have, to your earlier point, we will have another session on on diversification of your business and some other things, including ticket to work that some of our members have done successfully um, to, and they will share kind of their, their secrets with, um, with our attendees on some other ways in which you can diversify to supplement your income, mm-hmm. <laughs> help you yeah. periods of slow disability payment processing. Um, and so, yeah, I think all of this stuff is so a important um, and also be really timely. Um, I, I hope that um, I hope that people can find it in their heart to be a disability evangelist, Freddie, just like you. <laughs> Me too. I, I um, it takes, it takes a lot uh, just because of how long the process is and how, often you're looking at a no um, from the administration. When you first apply, you're looking at 37% approval rating. When you go to recon, you're looking at 17. So it's not until you get to the hearing level that you're looking at anything that you would ever take to Vegas. And so that could be a year and a half. So you really have to sort of not just manage your client's expectations, but manage your own. I mean, when you're taking on a lot of these cases, if you take on a lot of cases at the initial level, you will have to, as you mentioned, uh, do things to sort of diversify. And and so, you know, if it's if it's in your wheelhouse, uh, sometimes people can do federal cases uh, for some of these companies that also just focus on federal disability appeals. And that's one way that you can actually uh, sort of supplement. There are other people who uh, there are companies where you can actually do contract hearings. And so, you know, you can kind of do that. There's lots of ways that you can sort of kind of help yourself to to move through it. But Whichever way you can, and this is very evangelist of me, please do, is is what I would say to to those who are representing folks in disability, because it's too important. Um, the need is so incredibly great. Uh, you know, and like I said, in the past couple of years, it's 1.8 million, 1.8 million. And then three years ago, it was two. So all of those people need help. Um, the GAO, I think, in 2017 said that people who have representation are 300% more likely to win their case. These folks need help. And so whatever we can do as representatives to try and give that to them, 
I, I really, 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 really want to help folks to figure that out. And so, you know, if they want to contact me at any point, they can have my number, they can have a home number. We can talk at night because there's a lot of folks out there and I do overpayment, but I'm not the only one and I don't want to be the only one. So yeah, that's, that's definitely well, why. Well, I'm certainly not if in 2022, there were 1,028,389 overpayment cases. That's <laughs> right. Kilolo Kijikazi, I can't say her name. Oh, yeah. Um, and in Absolutely. 2023, we were north of 900,000. And here <sighs> isn't over yet. So it's a lot of work and it's tedious. <laughs> and um, the pie is big enough, I think is the point. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. So Shay, you've been sitting quietly listening. What do you have? Do you have any questions for Freddie or any insights? We we don't have enough time. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> That's uh, how I feel a lot of times. I'm with you. No, I, I I really wanted to get your thoughts on uh, kind of pivoting a little bit back toward the um, the reps and the and the and the attorneys in this field. First day of class, you got a new class sitting in front of you. You probably always have your first day, first speech, you know, for motivation, for um, to get everyone in that compassionate mode. You know, how do you tackle that semester or that class from day one? What is what is that one thing you you have to say every single time to motivate these people in this field? to keep doing what they're doing. Um, that's, that's an incredible question. And um, I hope I can tell this. I always say, I hope I can tell it without becoming too emotional myself. Every now and again in your career, and I think this is, this is definitely something that, that definitely happens with social security, but it, it probably happens in just about any area uh, of the law, because overall our goal is to help people. And I had this one opportunity a few years back where uh, an, an individual's hearing had come up, but they uh, committed suicide before their hearing had occurred. And so under Social Security's rules, uh, they could have a substitute party to be able to at least uh, present at the hearing and possibly receive their benefits uh, just to take care of any of their other affairs and maybe take care of their uh, children if they had any. And in this particular case, it was a daughter uh, who had committed suicide and the mother was the only person who could serve as the uh, substitute party. And so we're two months out from the hearing and the mom's job is to testify as if she is the daughter. But can you possibly imagine as a parent having to testify about your child that's no longer here and they committed suicide? So every time initially we try to talk, because I always go over the questions and you go over the conditions and you you talk about her limitations and what she was able to do on a daily basis, we would get five to 10 minutes in and she would break down, which is completely reasonable and understandable. And so I said, hey, we got two months. Um, I'm going to call you every day. Uh, I'm, I'm going to kind of be like, you know, kind of pestery telemarketing, but we're not, our sessions aren't going to go over five minutes. So we may get in one question about that. Uh, some days I just would tell her some sort of lame dad joke that I always have way more of than I should. Um, some days I would just call and ask her how she was doing. And so we, we do that all the way up into the hearing. We get to the hearing 
And she does such an incredible job. It's a position that I wouldn't wish on anybody. And she did it so gracefully and so powerfully. I was so proud. I choked up during the hearing just seeing her strength. Um, we won the case. And we won the case. And the judge actually mentioned that we won the case at the hearing. And I was overjoyed. <clears throat> but a couple, um, maybe like a month later, uh, she sends me this uh, email and has a picture of her and her daughter. And she said, I know that my daughter would have been really, really proud of how you took care of her mama throughout this process and how you did. And honestly, that's one of the highlights of my actual career. I've had, uh, I, I, I love winning at, at federal court where I get to kick social security's butt up there. I love anytime I'm able to win a case, but that moment I get to carry with me through my entire career. And those stories are out there that can give us that sort of fulfillment and propel us throughout our entire career if we just have the courage to try to take it. And I tell that story every single class. Um, at, well, at, at the beginning of this class, and I'm, I'm going to tell them before, just because of how powerful it is for me, um, how inspirational it is, how thankful I am to have been able to be that person for that woman at that moment. Like we get to be the person that these folks need at one of the darkest times in their life. And although that can be really, really difficult and that's a lot of responsibility, it's also incredibly rewarding. And so that's what spurs me on finding those moments, helping the best we can, and then helping other people to try to do the same. That's amazing. That is um, incredible. Uh, I think a lot of us have those same types of stories. I know I do. Uh, I was at a pivotal moment in my uh, career in this where I didn't know if I wanted to do it anymore. And because I, I, it's like I couldn't get I, I couldn't navigate my way through hearings. Nobody was you know, there to help with that. Sure. Uh, and I go to a hearing with a similar situation, except, you know, uh, it was she had tried to commit suicide and mm. we got a we got a bench decision and I, I leave. And she hands me a, a letter and she says, please don't open this until you get back to your office. And it basically was her her suicide letter. And, and I and I called her and I said, are you OK? She said, I am. She said, nobody would listen to me. You yeah. listen, and you got the judge to listen. And yep. she said, if it had not gone my way, I was just going to get everybody out of everybody's way. And I made up my mind right then, no matter what I go through in this uh, business or this fight with Social Security on my side of the table, I'm going to keep doing this because of what I did for her. And that's what I'm talking about. And so, yeah. So, yeah, it, it I just it, that's my that's my passion in this as well. I, and I always remember her. And yeah. so so it's just um and and then I meet uh, the likes of some people in our organization uh, that are that are so passionate about all the things that goes on mm -hmm. with with the National Association of Disability Reps. And yeah. now we're uh, we get to meet great people like yourself and your story, your your passion in this. Man, I tell you, I, I'm ready to go bear hunting with a switch right now. And I, <laughs> and I appreciate you for that. I do. Uh, we all need that. This, yeah. 
everybody in this organization needs that. And that's what we we crave. We crave for those stories. We crave for those those outcomes because yeah. that's what pushes us forward into doing this. You know, it's it is it's struggle. It's, it's, but we don't struggle near as much as the people who can't work anymore. I was you took right. out of my mouth, Shay. I was that's getting right. to say, I mean, as much as we feel like we're struggling and climbing um, you know, uphill with uh, a mudslide underneath us, it's like <laughs> nothing in comparison you know i mean that's right we have a roof over our head we have food on the table we have um you know our health we have our family you know and yeah some of these people don't have any of that you know that's right that's right and i think um one really really cool thing i mean honestly i i loved your story and and i've really appreciated you guys i just want to take a quick second to tell you uh, your organization. Thank you so much for uh, giving me the opportunity to to talk, but also for approaching it from the point of view of people who actually care. Like that really, 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 really matters when it comes to advocacy for this particular group that generally is not well spoken for, right? Um, but specifically when it comes to letting people tell their story, I mean, I, I always kind of tell my my clients. You're the master and commander of the ship. I'm the navigator. I know social security. I know those waters and I know the stars. You're the expert on you. So tell your story. And even win, lose, or draw, it gives a sense of satisfaction. It gives a, a sense of wholeness that after this long, drawn out, complicated process, at least they were able to tell their story, something that they may not have had anyone who could actually. Uh, who was willing to listen to them throughout this entire time. And even if if that's all we're able to do sometimes, and unfortunately, sometimes that is all we're able to do, that's still a huge benefit that we've given to the clients. So that's that's a huge piece. And these we we gotta always keep in mind these are these are not numbers. <laughs> these are these are not fees. These are people in really, really tough moments. And I think as long as we keep that in mind, we can keep doing good work for them. Well, I'm thank sorry. you so much for being yeah. with us, Freddie. Yeah. I mean, this was a great conversation. I think a fantastic lead into um, your presentation in Atlanta, um, but also just a really great reminder, especially this time of year about, um, you know, the perspective, right, of, of it all for, for those of us that are really struggling to stay um, motivated, sorry. We we may have to uh, we may have to keep your alma mater uh, in privacy for you to come to Atlanta. I think the 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 <laughs> uh, the feelings may still be sore um, over that. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a, no, that's, no, a, that's a totally football joke right there. And I just uh, <laughs> for the sake of my clients, I will refrain from saying "roll" and then the expected next word for the remainder La laundry uh, detergent. Of this playoffs, <laughs> yeah, this playoffs process, and and we'll I'll just say congratulations on all football accolades, yeah. and then we'll, we'll wait till next next uh, next fall. Exactly. Exactly. But hey, we play football every day with Social Security. They're they're like the quarterbacks. We can't hit them too hard. It doesn't seem. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. Sometimes we can't even look like we're hitting them because in that case we get flagged. So it's tough. It's a tough road to go, but we still got to get out there and, and, uh, and put on that helmet and keep trying. So exactly. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for being with us.
Y'all are the best. Thank you all so much. I can't wait to to have this chance to to talk to some more folks in Atlanta. And, and if there's anything I can ever do to, to answer any questions, that's literally what I'm here on earth to do. So y'all let me know. My friend, you are you better come to Atlanta Thirsty because uh, <laughs> people in our organization hear stories like yours and people who like to fight like you do. And and uh, man, I tell you, we've got some guests that are coming in that week that we I already feel I'm going to apologize to you now. You're going to just you're just going to get wore out with questions and uh, love it. Awesome. I man. love it. That's what we're here. And that, that's that, that, the last thing I'll say. And, and this is. You know, what I tell people when they're, they're like, you know, it's kind of weird that you always say you're, you're sort of thankful about your cancer. And I'm like, well, yeah, I, I would have loved to have avoided it if possible. Sure. But it helps me to connect. And if I connect, then stories get told. And, and it helps me to have the same passion that I need to be able to do this. Like It helps me to have the right perspective. So, yeah, I'm all about fighting for this in, in a way that uh, sometimes people, I, you know, I, I, I have outed like a, a small, small child when I've lost cases and uh, there was one time um, I won't confirm or deny this but I may or may not uh, have shouted yes in the middle of a hearing when I found out that we were going to win and I couldn't mute the phone fast enough so you know I take this stuff personally and and, and you know I, I love my clients and so I, I cannot wait to talk to more folks who are who is crazy and and uh, you know, evangelist stick, I guess, is me. That's that's going to be the highlight of my year. Start now. Well, we're looking forward to it. And we will be in touch. If anybody reaches out, which I feel like people will, um, I'll be in touch with you. Um, and we'll for sure see you in April. That sounds great. Thanks again for having me, you all. And I can't wait. Y'all take care, okay? Okay, you too. Happy holidays. You too. See ya. <laughs>